about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use, because they are based on human commands and teachings, such as regulations and indeed have an appearance of wisdom. With their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is the word of the Lord. I think in 50 years when they asked the question, was this generation, was this moment at the beginning of the 21st century a religious time? I think they'll answer actually with a resounding yes. But the banner above it might not be Christianity or, or Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, one of the great world faiths, but instead it might read the spirituality of wellness. So I was reading a book called The Wellness Syndrome recently that really the thing that pervades all modern spirituality driven by kind of a relentless market force is this longing after, seeking after and pouring money into being well physically, mentally, 
socially in all different ways. We have a constant pressure upon us as a society spiritually to be well is almost at the level of moral obligation. Because of that, we really are in some ways quite similar to, the, to where the Colossians were in chapter 2. They were facing immense spiritual pressure from cultural forces and from teachers who claimed to be Christian but weren't really. Uh, and Paul in this chapter is calling out that spiritual pressure for what it is. He tries to really clearly lay out for the Colossians what is genuine spirituality from the Bible, from Jesus, and what is the fake, what is the phony spiritual things. And I think that's very helpful for us, no matter where you are this evening. For many of us, the religion of wellness has impacted our faith deeply. And we're really trying to sort out, well, what does my relationship with Jesus, what should it actually be? You might be someone in church tonight in a different boat, though. You're on your own journey toward Jesus, and you're trying to work out, well, I know some Christians who I like, and there's lots of stuff about the church that I hate. And what is the genuine from the fake? For all of us this evening, Colossians 2 has a word, I think. But if there was a meme to kind of uh, help us along tonight, I think it's this one. If you don't know who that is and what that's about, you have a problem I can't fix. I'm sorry about that. It's a trap. That's what Colossians 2 is. Calling out spiritual traps that look like genuine Christian spirituality but aren't. And so this evening we're going to progress through really simply. I'm going to talk about the one essence of biblical spirituality and then we're going to look at three traps with the general himself. So let's start with the essence. Have a look at Chapter 2, verse 6, page 1166. Paul says that the essence of biblical Christianity is deepening your connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 6 he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. You see, if Christianity was a mystical secret, you would need to go hide away to pray so you could search it out and find it. If Christianity was a system with a a central thought that mattered most, a core idea, then you need to study your brain out until it made sense to you. If Christianity was a political ideology, you would need to enact it. But Christianity is about the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so authentic, essential, biblical spirituality is about deepening your connection with Him. You might have noticed as we read out this passage that all all through here is that language of in Him. In Him, in Christ. It's kind of through everything. It's a way that Paul uses to describe the spiritual connection between Christ and His people. Their union. We're in Him. We don't need to find our way to Him. We are already in Him. He has connected us with Himself. What Paul says to the Colossians is, I know there's spiritual pressure on you, but what you have to understand is, is that genuine biblical spirituality is about deepening connection to the Christ 
that you already have connection with. Continue to live in Him, Paul says. But what does that mean? What does that look like? What does it mean to deepen connection with Him? Well, there's some beautiful picture language here in verse 7 that helps us along. Uh, Paul uses the language of roots, like roots of a tree that grow into the ground. When I started working here quite early on, Roger Bray confessed to me one of his secret ambitions as senior pastor of this church. Uh, He desperately wants to be known to not be the pastor who kills the fig tree. And so you'll see him, Roger Bray, on his lawn. It looks like he's watering his grass, but he's desperately watering the fig tree so it doesn't die. Uh, The reality around a tree that is 170 years old is that it has only been able to grow up powerfully through growing down more deeply. A tree grows by deepening its dependence On the soil beneath it, its roots grow so it can suck more nutrients out and its roots grow to kind of compact what's under it into a solid structure from which to grow. And so Paul says, deepen your roots into Jesus Christ. Deepen your dependence on you. If you want to grow up, you have to grow down. The same is true of the second picture, built up in him, literally with with your foundation laid in him. A building like this that's majestic and massive only grows up through being able to depend on something solid beneath it. It depends on it. It leans on it. It's strengthened by it. Paul says, like a tree that grows up or a building majestic like a church, deepen your connection to the Lord Jesus by deepening your dependence on him. That's what faith is. Dependent trust. That's what is to be strengthened in us. We are to grow our roots into Jesus Christ. Let's just uh, apply that for a second, shall we? This is if you're waiting for that moment when I do ap- finally do application, it's now. It's not going to happen later. So, you know, wake up if this is, this is for you. But ha- what does that look like in real life? I think it looks like building into your life patterns of habitual dependence. Moments that can happen every day where you seek to lean in prayerfully on Him rather than yourself. Now for me, I'm on a bit of a journey with this at the moment actually. Uh, Someone revealed to me lovingly, kindly, uh, last year that really Aronis, I'm an Aroni, our family is all kind of run by kind of an ambient level of anxiety. We all have this kind of white noise of anxiety in the background, and it's what we lean on to get things done in life. It's how we achieve things. This is a revelation to me, and I realize that I'm noticing my life. There are all these moments in the day where I depend upon getting anxious to get things done. And what I've started to do is short-circuit that, and when I see anxiety growing, I take that as a cue to lean on in and grow my roots into him. When I'm worried about a meeting I'm about to walk into that I know is going to be hard, I grow my roots into him. When I'm trying to work something out that is beyond me, 
I build my rock on his foundation. I lean in on him and say, I am not enough for this, but you are Lord of all. And what is in you is enough. And so strengthen me to do these things. And by doing that bit by bit with decisions and people and small moments, I'm, I'm deepening my connection that already exists. I'm growing roots into Jesus Christ. One of the small moments when you're in the car, when you're on the train, when you're walking, the habitual moments where you can deepen your dependence upon the risen Lord Jesus. That's the essence of biblical spirituality, according to Paul. Deepen your roots into him. So what are the traps? Well, the first trap, according to Paul, is what he likes to call, in verse 4, it was a bit before what we read, fine-sounding arguments. Fine-sounding arguments. He says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which doesn't depend on Jesus, but on human traditions and the basic principles of this world. The word for take captive is the word kidnap. And see to it is watch out, watch out you don't get kidnapped which seems like strange advice at first, but he's not talking about physical kidnapping, but spiritual kidnapping through empty, deceitful, religious promises that will never come through. Now I look at that and I think, oh, I'm smarter than that. When I hear a crazy idea, I don't go trusting it, you know? When I hear empty philosophy, I just, I don't, you know, I don't go after it. But the way Paul describes it in verse 4 is that for for the Colossians, these are fine-sounding arguments. These are arguments that scratch at the part of your soul that itches. Arguments that target the bit of your life that you feel isn't full enough. The part that you lack and says, you have Jesus, but you don't have this. And you need this. To be whole, to flourish. Paul says, when that happens, don't you fall for it. Humans made it up based on their understanding of the spiritual nature of matter and of the world. Instead, grow your roots into Jesus Christ, because in verse 9, for in Christ is what? All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. If you want to be connected to divinity, you need connection to Jesus Christ, to His person, because He is where divinity is. He is where the fullness of God dwells in human flesh, God and man together. And because of that, verse 10, in Him you you are given fullness. Because He is connected to divinity, What is in Jesus Christ is no mere human tradition. It is the divine way. Fullness only comes from Him. Now, if I was to think about fine-sounding arguments in Sydney spirituality, the thing that's really uh, come home to me in the last 48 hours, actually, is that there is one kind of overarching argument that really really appeals to us all. In the last 48 hours, I've been having some conversations with people who aren't part of church, explaining my job to them. 
uh, which is interesting because they often don't understand and they're glazing over thinking, this is really weird, I don't understand what you're saying, you have a really strange job. Uh, but all three, I think, or four of the people who I've done this with in the last 48 hours have followed up with the same question. Does it make you happy? Does it make you happy? Which is such an interesting question, isn't it? I think it is the spiritual question that Sydney asks of everything. If it makes you happy, it's good. If it doesn't, it's bad. And I thought I was going crazy when I thought about this, but then I saw someone who actually put it into some bigger words, analyzing our culture, and Alenka says this, negativity, lack, dissatisfaction, unhappiness are perceived in our culture more and more as moral faults. A person who feels good and is happy is what? A good person. A person who feels bad is a bad person. According to the spiritual pressure of wellness, Christianity is only good when it makes you happy. That is a fine-sounding argument. But to be, if I was going to be honest with these people as they asked me that question, I'd have to say that connection to Jesus doesn't make me that happy all the time. It often fills me with pain. It doesn't get me out of darkest nights. It often provides them. When I look at my friends who have left Jesus behind as their foundation, their life's actually often easier than mine. Mine's more complicated. There are things that I'm told are natural that aren't. Jesus Christ doesn't always make you happy. But in those darkest nights, he is the power that holds me up. And in the brokenness of this world, he is the purpose that drives me forward and he will lift me from my grave and save my soul. Beware the fine-sounding argument of inner west spirituality that says your Christianity is only good for you as long as it keeps you happy. It's a lie. Fullness is found in bearing the cross that Jesus Christ places on you. Because only fullness comes from Him. And it may feel like death to you tonight. But the promise of Paul is that in Him is fullness and in Him alone. So the first trap is fine-sounding arguments. But the second trap that Paul brings up is he calls out any religion or any spirituality that makes things all about you rather than about Jesus. That makes things all about you rather than about Jesus. In verse 16, you get a picture of the kind of spirituality that's pressing in on the Colossians in particular. There are people who are questioning the way they eat and drink and what they're doing on the new moon. Has anyone asked you about what you do on the new moon recently? Okay. Uh, you know, they're looking at the Colossians and saying, you have Jesus, but you don't do any of this stuff. And because you don't do any of this stuff, you're not really spiritually full. You're not really belonging to God. If you really belong to God, then you'd have some conversations with angels, for example. Or you might have a tambourine out on the new moon, you know. And what's happening to the Colossians is that there are these voices that in verse 16 are judging them. 
and in verse 18, disqualifying them, saying that what they have in Jesus is not enough. But what Paul says in response is, actually, you know those people who are all about these spiritual things? Do you know that? In the end, their spirituality, their religiosity, it is all about them. It's not about Jesus. He says they're focusing on the shadow in verse 17, not the reality. Some of these things are in the Old Covenant, Paul says, but they're they're, they're pulling you away from the Lord Jesus. And then in verse 18, he describes how these people who, who go into depth about their spiritual experiences get puffed up, arrogant, proud about themselves. And then ultimately in verse 19, he says, you know what? They don't, they're not actually connected to Jesus at all. And the terrifying thing you see here is the very real possibility that someone can be in church their whole life, do every religious motion, and have a religion that is all about them and is actually not connected to Jesus at all. That is a scary thought. In the end, Paul says, their spirituality is about self-dependence rather than Christ-dependence. The same is true of a lot of spiritualities in our age. Alexandra, in this article from The New Yorker, talks about a journalist who decided to take on some of the philosophies of the wellness culture and spent a whole year trying to do it. And he got to the end of the year and realized that he had in his pursuit of spiritual wholeness, completely ignored his wife, who was about to give birth to their second child, and that he had spent a whole year just thinking about himself. Paul says, beware spirituality that makes things all about you and not about Jesus. The way that Paul takes this down in the end is a bit counterintuitive. He says, you know, those voices that condemn you from those religious nuts, they're right. There is a code that in verse 14 stands against you, is opposed to you. It's not a human code, but a divine code that condemns all. But what Paul then says is, you know what? The divine code, Jesus Christ, he grabbed it, he broke it in half, and he nailed it onto his own cross. Cancelling it. Crashing the divine system. And forgiving us our sins. And as he did that, he disarmed every spiritual power, making a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them on the cross. You see, on the cross, Jesus Christ cancels the only legitimate voice of condemnation in the universe, the voice of Almighty God who should condemn us for falling short. And yet Jesus Christ takes that condemnation away and then silences every other spiritual voice. So that there is no voice of condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. I don't know if there's a condemning voice in your head tonight. And I don't care where it came from. 
I don't care if it came from a church in years past. I don't care if it comes from your heart. I don't care if it comes from a demon. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, every voice of condemnation has been silenced. And you see, when your heart gets that, you stop depending upon yourself and your own religious systems and start growing roots into him. The second trap is depending upon yourself rather than on Jesus Christ. But the third trap is this. A life of rule-keeping rather than relationship. The final thing that Paul has to say to the Colossians uh, is kind of a perplexed statement about why on earth they are living a life of just rule-keeping. He says in verse 20, Why do you submit to the rules of this world? Like, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. The Colossians were imposing upon themselves this system of of very strict dietary and, and religious movement that was designed to kind of get a spiritual effect. It was supposed to change you, alter you. And Paul's like, are you crazy? Rules don't change you. Rules can't alter what is wrong with you. You know, our culture even is into this. Despite being uh, not religious on the surface, we are all into manipulating the body to save the soul. We alter our appearance. We charge our body with strength. We make it, we mold it into something in order to have a spiritual release. But religious rules, aesthetic rules, Conforming of the body can't fix what's wrong with you, Paul says. In verse 23, he says, They lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. What he means by that is that they can't fix the malignant mass of compulsive behavior, selfishness, and hatred of over-desire that is fixed inside you like a tumor. Conformity to rules cannot get that out of you. What he calls that malignant tuner in verse 11 is the sinful nature or the flesh. And as I was thinking about this, um, I've been reading a book this week um, by a Japanese novelist, Ayaka Miura. Uh, That's her autobiography, The Wind is Howling. Isn't that a great title, The Wind is Howling? And she was um, a in the last 50-odd years, one of the greatest novelists in Japan. And she was also a Christian, which made her quite different. Not many Japanese Christians in the public space. And this is an autobiography. And in it, she describes her kind of 15-long-year torturous journey with tuberculosis uh, that also resulted in her faith. And in the middle of the book, there's this moment when um, she seems to be well. All the doctors think she's well, but she knows that something is still wrong with her. So she goes from doctor to doctor and gets sicker and sicker until eventually she gets to this doctor and they they tap something into her spine and the doctor says, why don't you come to me sooner? There is tuberculosis all through your spine. We have to put you in a cast for seven years to fix it. With this realization, she also has a spiritual moment of insight. She talks about how the x-rays didn't pick this up and if they hadn't realized, she would have died. But then she says, and then I thought, the same could be true 
of my soul. Maybe I didn't realize that my heart had been so eaten away, was so infected, simply because I was unaware. I found this thought terrifying. You see, the reality of the flesh, of the malignant mass that's behind sin, is it's kind of like a tumor, like cancer, like tuberculosis, that when you realize it's there, it's already too late. And you can't get it cut out of you without losing all that you are. Except Paul says that in Jesus Christ, that flesh is cut off you. Like a circumcision, he says. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, having been baptized into him and raised up. You see, the genius thing that Jesus Christ does is, although the scalpel should be applied to your body, is that it doesn't touch you, it touches him. And his body is ripped apart so that your flesh can be ripped out of you. The victory that Jesus Christ wins over sin is total and complete in a way that rule-keeping can never do. And as we close this evening, really the reality of growing your roots into Jesus Christ is, is realizing in the depth of your soul that the, both the condemnation for your sin and the substance of your sin, of your flesh, and the spiritual enemies against you are only conquered by Him and His cross and His resurrection. When your heart gets that, you look at fine-sounding arguments and you go, you don't have what Jesus has. And you hear condemning voices and you say, no, that's been silenced by the cross. And you look at rules and you go, I need to live a new life, but you cannot take out of me what Jesus Christ already has. Friends, I think the call of Colossians 2 to our culture this evening is that you do not need more of you. You need more of Him. Deepen your roots as you sit there this evening. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we see here the reality of who we are apart from Jesus, and we see the terror of it. And we are longing, even as we sit here, to grow our roots into Him, to depend on what He has done to rid us of what is wrong with us and to shed the condemnation from us. And we want to grow in deepening our trust in Him as Lord. So silence the voices of condemnation. Show us the false things that have taken hold and lead us into the life apart from sin, we pray, for Jesus' glory alone. Amen.
listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.